every state has their own complete laws, complete regulations, um, and there's no interstate commerce allowed. This means that we cannot ship products over state lines at all, in no way. You can't drive them, you can't ship them, you can't fly them, you can't send a bird. Um, however, y'all doing I can't it. Can't use the Harry Potter owl. You cannot know? use the owl. <laughs> you cannot. Okay. Um, so you can't do that at all. And every state has their own way that they do and govern cannabis. Some states don't allow for it at all, right? Okay. So like here in Georgia, they do have a medical program and they have issued licenses, but none of them are up and running. Technically, anyone that's selling weed in Atlanta or Georgia, it's not allowed to. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the More Rounds podcast. I'm Kim Lewis, CEO and co-founder of Chronomix. And on this podcast, we talk about how to fund your business, whether it's through debt or cash flow or from investors or raising venture. And today, you guys, we have on the couch with us Hope. The youngest black woman to own a dispensary in the United States of America. I am so excited to talk to her about how she funded this business. But before we get into it, we have to do a cheers. Yes. Cheers. I love this wine. Yes. Okay, so Hope, tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. How you get into this business? Um, and I have so many questions. Yeah. But I don't want to just like start hitting you with all of them. So I'm going <laughs> to let you do your intro first. Okay. Um, so my name is Hope Wiseman. I am born and raised in Prince George's County, Maryland, where I now operate Marion, Maine, which is a medical and adult use dispensary now. Uh, we opened our doors in 2018 and we were medical only then. Uh, we just went adult use in July of 2023. Okay, great. Um, so that's huge. You know, it has really changed uh, the course of, of uh, my career and our business. And I'm super excited. I was a big part of the legislation that um, was passed that created this law and made it available to everybody. So I'm super proud of that. And the advocacy that I've been able to really um, contribute to laws around the country and even to the federal conversation as well. So yeah, I own a dispensary, but uh, I also operate our holding company, WiseCo. Um, we have a majority stake in a manufacturing uh, company in New Jersey. Ooh, 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 yeah, ooh. you know, we're doing a lot of different things. We have some other plans um, coming up later down the year and into next year. Um, the industry is just experiencing a lot of growth right now. So um, I'm really excited to be kind of at the ground floor of this space. Yeah, I, I mean, and it said 2017 in your bio. So is yeah. that when you like first got like passed your applications, like open your dispensary? No. Okay. Um, so actually my journey and my story really starts in 2014. I had just graduated from Spelman College. I had a degree in economics or have a degree in economics. Uh, I was working full time at an investment bank in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and this is really when cannabis first started becoming mainstream. I was seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing it on the cover of Time Magazine, Forbes, um, CNBC is talking about it and they're talking about the growth trajectory of the space and kind of what was available. And me, um, you know, I had a career in finance, but I also really understood and was a part of the cannabis culture yeah. as well. So I understood that this 
growth trajectory and the demand that they said would grow in the industry really already existed. And we were just flipping from, you know, <laughs> regulated, yeah, unregulated, you know, unregulated to regulated, to regulated right. you know, legacy to legal. Um, so, you know, I just I knew that as a black woman who was not independently wealthy, did not have a lot of political connections or anything of the sort, um, that my opportunity to get into the space was at the ground floor level. Um, and my home state of Maryland happened to be licensing companies the next year. So mm. um, I went to my mother, who is my business partner, who we work together side by side every day, which is amazing. Um, I went to my mother and we decided to go after a dispensary license. Uh, we were successful. Um, but after we won, that was we applied in 2015. We spent a year getting ready to apply from 2014 to 2015. Wow. When you say getting ready to apply, what mm -hmm. does that mean? Like, why do you spend a year and a half getting ready to apply? So back in 2014, 2015, um, cannabis was still very taboo on the East Coast. Uh, a lot of states were going from medical to uh, adult use. They weren't just starting out adult use. In fact, California wasn't even technically adult use back then. You still had to go get a medical card. Mm. Back in the, This is back in the day when people were like walking on Venice Beach, like, hey, get a medical card. Your back hurts. Now you get one. Yeah. Um, in uh, East Coast states, it was much different. Getting a medical card, you had to have some type of... Um, illness or, or uh, a, a, an issue that you had to go get qualified by a provider, which yeah. was usually a doctor. Okay. Um, and they would give you a recommendation to get a medical card, not an actual prescription. Um, so back then, it was just a much more competitive process than it is now. And the reason for that, I'll get to um, eventually. But back then, it was typically the only people that were winning these licenses were people who were independently wealthy who had uh, very heavy political connections mm. um, because people understood the trajectory of the space and the growth potential of it. Um, and all, because there was still kind of that stigma associated with it, a lot of people stayed away. But the ones that were more, you know, not as risk adverse, they, they took that chance. And so they what's got, the getting ready part, though? Like, what was that? Like, are you getting trademarks or something? Like, what's, no. the, what's the getting ready? Getting ready is just going through. Essentially, it's like uh, competing for a government uh, grant, like for an RFP process. Mm. Um, in fact, that's what it has turned into for many municipalities. Um, but it was a merit-based, I tell people all the time, this was almost like taking a test, an open book test that was going to be graded on a bell curve and there was going to be a highest score and a lowest score, no matter whether you uh, wrote the same things or not. And so they just have a certain percentage of people who can't pass and a certain percentage of people who they need to pass. Most and states had literally like... We're giving out five licenses. Wow. Yeah. And then these are the qualifications. That's not fair. No, it's not necessarily. But then at the same time, you don't want to have a situation where, you know, people looked at cannabis like it was like the gold rush. People called it the green rush. Right. Um, so everybody was like trying to get in and figure out their place. So if they had just let it be a free for all, I mean, it really would have been a free for all. I guess it'd be like uh, daycares. Like yeah. we have that many dispensaries. Well, OK, I, I, you know, I understand. And they even say and in private impoverished areas and low income areas, you know, there's been a concentration of liquor stores and tobacco shops and they didn't want to see the same thing happen with the cannabis industry. Okay. That's one argument. Mm -hmm. All right. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. So, so you were getting ready to apply mm -hmm. 2015, right? 2015. And then you actually apply in 2017. When do you get the license? Well, I actually applied at the end of 2015. So it was December or November, 2015. They told us it would be three months. This is like in statute. It's in the law. Three months, and then they have to award licenses. Mm, it took a year. 
Wow. So the end of 2016, we were awarded the license. At that point, um, it's a conditional license at that point. Um, we had to kind of go through all the qualifications, getting our business uh, up and running, ready to be operational, and then they come do a uh, last inspection, and then you get open. Um, for us, it was real estate issues that kind of held us back. It took us two years from um, the almost two years, a year and eight months or so from the time we were awarded our license at the end of 2015 um, or end of 2016, I'm sorry, to open in September of 2018. Wow. Going through just, you know, zoning, well, finding a property first that was uh, zoned properly. Uh, that's a whole nother thing in itself. And then going through the whole contractor build out process in an industry where people are putting that extra green tax on top of you. Mm. Um, so everything, you know, as soon as they hear what you do, everything costs five times more. Oh my gosh. Maybe okay. Five, but. This is so interesting to me because talk about high barrier to entry, right? Yeah. Like this is taking you, it's not like I could just, I'm going to start selling oil out of my kitchen and I no. can just start selling like a growth oil tomorrow. Like, no, this is taking you three, four years before you actually get to make a dollar. Yeah. So how much money are you spending on this application? Is it free? <laughs> no, it's not free. <laughs> no. So, but the funny part is the actual application itself, like what you pay to the state or to the city as you apply, that may not be much. It may be, you know, sometimes they simplify or give uh, preference to certain groups. So you might only have to pay $500 to apply, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Or up to, you know, $5,000. i have seen $10,000 ones. Um, I've even seen some be refundable if you don't win. So that's not really where the money gets spent when you're applying for a license. Okay. The money is actually spent on all the things you have to do to put your application packet together. Mm. So think about, you know, if you're having to get together a business plan, an operational plan, and all of these things, and you've never run a cannabis business before, let's say you've never even run anything adjacent, uh, any type of retail business if you're going after a dispensary, but let's say you want to be a cultivator or a manufacturer, do you have any experience in any adjacent industry? Um, you know, maybe for cultivation, maybe you've never grown cannabis, but maybe you've grown like, tomatoes where you, or lettuce. Where are you buying your... The, the products that you're reselling. Like, how do you yeah. even find that? It's not like you have like an Alibaba where you can go and no. say, I'm going to buy all these gummies. I'm going to buy all these like chocolates that have CBD, one part, two part THC. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, are you just locally making these connections to the conferences you're going to? Like, how are you putting a, bit, a business plan together for an industry that is so new? You know, this industry, it's, it's not only new, it's highly sophisticated um, and highly regulated. So something that I tell people when they first want to get into the space is you have to understand that cannabis is federally illegal, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no federal uh, of governing of this plant except for they do taxes. And walk us through. I mean, I'm, I'm this one. I'm, I know you're taxes. not. The, <laughs> I know you're not like you know the police or like that, or you're not like a judge or a lawyer. <laughs> but like, walk us through the levels of regulation. So you have like, there's a state, there's federal. Like, walk us through. Yeah. Even the lowest level was it municipalities. I think yeah. It is? Okay. There's like a local level, um, and then some states even come up with their own. Most have their own like kind of cannabis governing board, cannabis commission, administration, okay. or something like that. So, you know, of course, we start up here at the federal level, which at the end of the day supersedes everything. Okay. Um, but the government has over the years, we've had different attorney generals and presidents, and they all feel differently about cannabis. Um, and they have taken away things that have protected our industry and some have introduced things back to kind of where it is right now is it's very clear that cannabis will become legal at some point. It's not a question of if it's a question of when okay. and how. Um, so, and a lot of people have a lot of different 
gotcha. you know, things on that. Yeah, federal? Federal, then state. Okay. So this is where most of all of the actual authority lies within the cannabis industry. Every state has their own complete laws, complete regulations, um, and there's no interstate commerce allowed. This means that we cannot ship products over state lines at all. In no way. You can't drive them. You can't ship them. You can't fly them. You can't send a bird. Um, however, y'all doing it. can't use the Harry Potter owl. You, you cannot know? use the owl. You cannot. Okay. Um, so you can't do that at all. And every state has their own way that they do and govern cannabis. Some states don't allow for it at all. Right? Okay. So like here in Georgia, they do have a medical program and they have issued licenses, but none of them are up and running. Technically, anyone that's selling weed in Atlanta or Georgia is not allowed to. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, if we go there. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and then, yes, there's typically the state puts some type of cannabis commission, administration, governing board there that focuses on issuing licenses, um, maintaining compliance, sending out audits, you know, things like that. Gotcha. Collecting data, that type of stuff. And then, okay. of course, there's the local. Um, some states give the local municipalities more authority than others. And a municipality is really just like a town, right? A town, a city, a county. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of depends. Every state has their own way that they kind of look at municipalities. Um, and, yeah, every state gives different municipalities. You know, every state has a different local way that they deal with it. Um, and I think what is being noticed now as every state is learning from the next, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of people are noticing is that when you give local municipalities too much control, it in it um, entices um, corruption. Corru I was going to say corruption, boy. You know, sliding them $10,000, $20,000 yep. checks over there. Because like a lot of cities don't have much money, mm. you know? So now, and then, I mean, you even hear about Colorado had a surplus from their cannabis tax revenue. How much How much does it take to really buy a politician? What you think? What, if you had to estimate a number. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the level. Um, depends on also what they want or need and how much you have. Because sometimes it's not money that they need, that they want. It's It's something that you have access to. So uh, a lot of times it's like an exchange of power. power. Yeah. And that can happen very easily um, in this industry, especially because of the type of money that is, you know, it, that really could be made. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of barriers right now. $50,000 is nothing to a lot of these cannabis companies. It's like here, that's exactly. all you want. And I remember I was talking to my husband about this and he was like, Kim, it don't take much to buy a politician. I was like, what? No. I was like, we don't do that here at Curl Mix or at the More Ounce podcast, <laughs> but you know, no. They're not that expensive if you, you know, you need to lobby for a law. But um, so about funding this application. So mm -hmm. it's not much to actually make, like submit the application. But you were saying there are a lot of things that you have to do alongside the application. How much would you estimate that you had to spend there? So we probably spent, and I talk about this a lot, um, we probably spent close to two hundred to $250,000 in mm. our preparation to turn in our application. Oh, my God. This That's is all preparation. At risk. To, it's, it's like, this what? is at risk capital. Nobody was giving us that money back if we lost. So this is just out of pocket that things that you saved as an investment banker, maybe family, friends. So I was how old? You know, I just graduated from school. Um, I just started working in investment banking. And at my age, honestly, that was probably like one of the highest level jobs I could possibly get. I remember yeah. I got a $20,000 um, starting bonus and I just thought I was. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. and how old were you? I was, I mean, like 22. Girl, look, that's so much my wedding cost. That's <laughs> oh, I thought I was like doing okay. it, you know? Um, and then when I mean, we started all this. It. That's doing yes, it. Yes, I was. I was. Um, but in perspective to what I was about to do. Mm. Uh, I say all the time that I am so blessed because my mother 
And Dr. Bryant, who's our third uh, co-founder, mm -hmm. um, three of us started everything. He is an oral surgeon. My mom's a general dentist. They practice right next door to each other. Oh. Literally my entire life. My mom started her practice the year I was born. Um, so they're the ones that pretty much with my $20,000 injection, because I did donate all I had to cause in the beginning. <laughs> Look at you. Come on. Thank you. That's all I had. Um, but they really lifted me up and put me on their shoulders and they believed in my vision enough to like literally throw their weight behind me. Um, without them, I, there would be no Wise Co. There would be no Mary and Me. Wow. Okay. So Mary and Me. So $250,000. Can you give me like a quick synopsis of like the things that probably cost like 50K, 20K, 100K? Like, you know, yeah. what is it? What's making up that two, $200,000? So we were spending money during the application process, one, trying to learn. So this is also 2014. There was like literally no blueprint. Um, and when I was doing any research on, you know, how to get into the industry, people didn't know because like literally this was state's first run at even creating the industry in that state. You, you know, my friends have a joke. It's like, if you're the first one going through the door, you get shot. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like the cops raid a house, you're the first one through the door, like, you're going to be, in, you know, you yeah. to invest in one. And so sometimes, like, we end up spending money on things that maybe, if you're coming in now in the industry, you want some money on this thing. But totally. because I did it first, then, like, I, you I know. I had to make those mistakes. Exactly, so exactly. So you don't have to, you know. There's gotcha. something about being a trailblazer. I mean, when you're a trailblazer, you're literally going through the woods, Sight unseen, you don't know what you what's on the other side is dark, and you're just literally exactly. cutting it down. Exactly. And then everyone else can come behind you. You know, exactly. and some people may cut down more trees and make the way even bigger. But at the end of the day, you were the first one to go that way. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even realize I was doing that at the mm. time. Um, so like, why is it so hard? Yeah. Like, <laughs> why can't anyone help me? You know, and I'm going to conferences and doing things. So that was the first chunk of money. We were literally just traveling to, we're going to Denver. We were going to Nevada. We were going um, all these different places on the West Coast that we were seeing were having like cannabis networking events. Um, shout out to M4MM. That was medical or... Um, Wait, what is that? M4MM. Okay. Um, medical cannabis or... I need to remember this. Oh, it's so okay. This we later. got it. M for yeah. MM. Okay. Yes. So shout out to M for MM. Um, they were the ones that literally introduced me to almost all of the first black people that I met in the space. Oh, wow. Um, and from there, then people started kind of holding my hand and telling me, oh, you need to go talk to her. Oh, you need to go talk to her. You need to go talk to her. But before that, nobody was kind of showing us the way. Um, but my mother and I literally started traveling around the country and talking to anyone that would. Uh, learning as much as we could, we realized quickly that we didn't have the technical skills to apply for those parts of the application process because at this time, I mean, the application was extremely extensive. Uh, you know, when it was finished, ours was probably close to like a thousand pages. A thousand pages? Mm -hmm. First of all, for me to raise money for an equity crowdfunding is only like a hundred pages. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess you're doing ingestibles, right? So it's a little different. Yeah. That should be more regulated. But a thousand What is in a thousand pages for a, 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 marijuana, a medical marijuana application? You or know, license? it's stuff like what's going to be your quality assurance plan? What's going to be your customer education plan? What's going to be your diversity plan? What's your workforce utilization plan? Oh, my God. What is going to be? And then now we're getting over, you know, let's say this is for dispensary, right? Let's go to cultivation or manufacturing. Now we're getting into... Uh, manufacturing SOPs and um, different quality assurance standards and all of these different things. It's like you're going after, 
you know, an RFP and trying to get a GMP certification and trying to get... Oh, and GMP is a general good, good manufacturing yeah, practice. Mm-hmm. Yep, the GMP yeah. side, yep. Like you're trying to do all of those things in one. And then it's with an agency that is typically, especially back then, we're talking about 2014, 2015. These are new government agencies that have never graded anything like this before. <laughs> So it's like a hot mess. They're looking at all this. They're like, what, the, what is this shit? You know, yeah. I'm sorry. You, you know, but like, what is don't judge. You, don't judge. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what is there? They don't even barely know. The number one question I get all the time is, Kim, is Curl Mix available in stores? We have been saying no to every retailer for the last seven years that I've been in business. And we are finally on store shelves, you guys. We are available in Ulta. And I really need you guys to show up and buy us out so that we can blow up in the store and do well. Thank you so much for watching our podcast. And please make sure you go buy Curl Mix, now available in Ulta. Yo, you know what's facts? I have a friend who runs an agency that grades these applications. Yeah. And, you know, he does have his pharmacology degree, you know, his PhD. Um... But it's new for him, too. You know what I mean? As educated as he might be, it's new for him, too. And I'm like, that's wild. Yeah. So they're trying to regulate something that they have no basis, really, for even how to regulate. No, not really. You know, they do their best to bring in subject matter experts. But it's funny because the industry is so new, right? Yeah. Um, and I got in it pretty early. Uh, so I'm traveling all around and meeting people, but like, you know, now fast forward to 2023, like I'm kind of like an OG in this space a little mm. bit. Um, so it's funny. A lot of my friends are the ones like grading these applications. Um, and it, it's, it's also, it's not funny too, because a lot of times they have to, you know, excuse themselves when they know people. And there's always that like, kind of like blind application thing. Mm. Um, but something else that interesting that's happened over the years is they've realized it's inequitable, how difficult the application process was. And like you said, the barriers to entry just made it almost impossible to see a person of color really get into the space. Yeah. So there, I mean, there was a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty impossible. You're paying for application writers and then, you know, go back to 2014 when it's still early. There are very few people with that level of expertise. So, you know, they're upcharging, rightfully so. Um, But also there were a lot of jokers in the space back then because you didn't know who was big or good really from someone else that just kind of looked the part. Um, So a lot of people were getting taken advantage of by application writers and consultants. Um, Not all of them, though, but. So this sounds like an industry that I need money before I decide I want to join. You can't just be like, I'm going to hustle my way through and, like, you know, be profitable and da 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 Like, no, you're going to go in the hole first, and then yeah. you're going to climb out. You know, I tell people this industry is huge. You know, the all the projections, the $25 billion by 2025 and all that is, is real. Um, but there's different pockets of the industry, right? And then there's the plant-touching side, which I'm on. I have a license, a state licensed company, and um, that's what I'm building, a legal THC-based business. But there is a whole other side of this industry from an ancillary side um, where you don't. What does ancillary mean? So ancillary, uh, essentially, we talked about the gold rush earlier um, in the green rush. These are the picks and the shovel businesses. So these are all the businesses that assist the plant-touching businesses. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I know insulin mean like extra, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's what you meant. Gotcha. Like, but essentially mm-hmm. just, you know, if you sell, if you're a marketing business that specifically focuses on cannabis um, or if you sell the uh, packaging that we use, if you sell even cleaning supplies, but you specifically focus on cannabis groups and or you the form, application process or the application, you're a consultant for that. You know, any of the things that where you don't actually need a license. 
um, to do it. So that's a huge part of the industry. And then there's the whole CBD side. So the 2018, I believe, Farm Bill, federal farm bill made it so it kind of we put a line in the sand on what is hemp and what is cannabis mm. although it's the same plant girl you know like i got some hemp oil in one yeah. of my uh flaxseed gels and i promise you the number of times that amazon takes it down i'm like yeah. look this ain't getting nobody high like it is just for your hair it's, you know um the advertising restrictions in cannabis are very very serious you know tiktok you can't do anything cannabis related. You can't even have something that looks like a joint on TikTok. They will take it down. Oh, wow. Instagram is, I mean, they'll take, my Marion main account was gone for like six months. I had to like argue that down to get it back. Oh my gosh. Um, and we don't sell cannabis. So you have to really go out of your way to make sure you're compliant on these social media platforms. And it just goes to show that there's still a long way to go to eradicate the stigma. Um, and that's been a focus of mine in my career for sure. So was business good when you were just a medical dispensary or is it the same now that you are an adult dispensary or is it like, it's no, really no difference. It was just mm -hmm. more of like a marketing thing. Like what's the difference? Yeah. You know, it, it's so interesting watching a state go from medical to adult use. And we've seen it happen in a bunch of states. So as Maryland was preparing for that transition, everyone had a lot of predictions on what was going to happen using data from other states. Yeah. Um, and we kind of missed the mark a little bit of what other people thought we were going to do. But I actually think we're right on time. Um, so yeah, you know, as it became medical, Maryland had about 150, 160,000 patients and that's pretty much where it plateaued. It stayed around that number, okay. um, for the entire, it was about six years, seven years of a medical program before mm -hmm. it went adult use or what some people know as recreational. Um, but, uh, going adult use, people thought it was going to be like four to five times, uh, immediately. And the first month we did about, I think the, the actual number is 87 million mm. in Maryland month one. Oh, wow. Um, where in like Missouri, which is a state with a similar demographic, similar population, they did closer to 100 million mm. um, month one. Um, I know Illinois last month just did 131 million um, and they have a much bigger population. It's a denser uh, state Wait, too. So... I've been buying stuff in, you know, Illinois for a while now. Yeah. It wasn't legal? Illinois, Illinois, they just did 131 in their legal market. It's been legal. Okay. Um, Illinois went adult use in 2020. Okay, okay. Yeah, the first you. adult like, use Wait a minute, dispensary. wait yeah. a minute. Cause but they've I been use. medical okay. even longer than that. Okay, Illinois gotcha. was one of the first, like, competitive adult or medical states. And Illinois is actually where a lot of the MSOs, that's what we call like the bigger companies that are in a lot of different states. What does MSO stand for? Multi-state operator. Gotcha. So, uh, you so know. People have gotten licensed in multiple states. In multiple states. states. Which means they got buku money. Because you was, you know, because you, yeah. Okay. You spent a lot of money uh, getting those up and running and, and winning the application processes. Yes. Do you reckon, who should <laughs> go after having a dispensary and who should not? I think that if you have the ability to raise upwards of a million dollars, you can go after a dispensary. Mm. It doesn't matter my technical expertise or background? I think that technical expertise and background in the cannabis industry, when it comes to opening a retail dispensary, is not as important as having the ability to organize and project manage. What kind of multiples are typically on cannabis companies is it just like cpg where it could be anywhere from three to seven x three x on the low end based on ebitda or you know look up ebitda or seven x would be like the best brand in the market 
So because our industry is so new and the laws are so up and down, the risk levels are so crazy, I don't know where it's going to actually like what our industry standards are going to be. I can tell you where it's been now. Um, Previously, the past few years, it's been all about revenue multiples, top line. Yeah. Um, And people are getting like, you know, two times. At one point, it was like there were the golden days for a little period of time where people are getting three times. Everybody was going public that could on the, they were doing a a stock split and all this stuff. Um, And now it's turning more into like typical business where people are looking at your EBITDA and they are really trying to see if you can run a profitable business, if you know what you're doing. And multiples are closer to like six times EBITDA right Mm. now. Okay, okay, okay. Um, In markets that still have huge catalysts, like in Maryland that just went from medical to adult use, people love to buy that. But I heard people can buy licenses, right? Yes, you can buy a license. Is that legal? It is legal to buy a license. A lot of times they have ownership uh, restrictions around potentially like how long you have to own it, especially if the license was... Um, one under certain pretenses, right? Mm-hmm. So it's big now in cannabis to uh, focus on social equity because all we we all know that cannabis has a a kind of dark history. Of course, uh, black folks been locked up for just smoking weed for centuries, and now we can centuries. now we can just do it for free, and, and oh. we don't have the money to get in. And, right? You know, they made it too difficult. Exactly. So that's being acknowledged by most states at this point. Back when I was first coming through, that was not a thing, you know, at least not something that they focused on or they felt like it was necessary to build into the application process. So I won my license without social equity and all of that. Fast forward to now, you know, there have been a lot of people like me that have pretty much said, like, look, this isn't fair. And there there are inequities in this space, just like there are everywhere. Yeah. And the systemic issues that um, block us from getting loans and doing all these things in other spaces are, you know, multiplied times 20 in this space. And it should be honestly the opposite way, because so many black families have been disenfranchised by the over-policing of this plant. Of course. You know, so now we deserve the opportunities to be in the business if we want to. And if we don't want to, we deserve uh, for the revenue that's being made from it to go back into our communities exactly. to help rebuild what was taken. Um, so, you know, now going into the space, a lot of the application processes have been uh, made a little bit easier. Okay. And they've made it so it's almost like a conditional space. So it's like if you meet certain qualifications, um, then you can get the license and then you can go out and raise the money and do all the things because you have more of a ticket in hand rather than like, hey, I have this dream and I'm going to try. You know, like <laughs> no investor is giving you a dollar for a dream. You know? right? So now it's a little easier um, and there are ways for people to get into the space. But the hardest part really is uh, maintaining that. Um, and with those ownership restrictions, uh, at the end of the day, a lot of people have to go out and raise money and they end up losing uh, their ownership and big chunks of it, right? But I tell people all the time, you you might not have had the opportunity at all. Yeah. So sometimes it's better for your first venture to go into a partnership, even when you don't have the control and you don't have the say-so. Exactly. You might learn things and be able to take the money you've made from the first partnership and go and build. Because I, like I always looked at Marion Maine as the beginning of my wealth, uh, my wealth building gener- uh, journey. Exactly. I didn't look at it like Mary Maine is going to be the thing that 
yes. transcends generations and pays, <laughs> you know, wise men's 50, you know, a thousand years from now are going to remember, you know, this is the beginning of our journey. Not you guys have a poet voice. Like this is not going to be the biggest thing I ever do. Right. <laughs> no. Like, so then if I'm raising a million dollars for my cannabis startup, I'm looking maybe for a two X, three X in evaluation. Yes. So someone's going to buy half the company out front, out, out the gate. And it's because of the licensing and you just need so much money up front. I say this, um, what valuations for startup cannabis businesses are even more tricky. Um, they are more so based on like the market dynamics, especially in a limited license state, right? Mm. So a state like, a, I'm going to go with Maryland because it's the state I know the, the most. Uh, Maryland right now has 100 dispensaries. A little, they initially uh, licensed 25 growers, 25 processors. There's a little bit more now that got licensed through like lawsuits and other things, right? Yeah. Um, that, those licenses are going to be really valuable. So let's say they issued a, a new one and now it's 101 dispensary licenses. Your license really is going to, your startup value, your, your pre-money value is going to be more than a million dollars. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, you're going to be making at least the bottom of the market dynamics because you're one of very few. Um, mm. So people do look at limited licenses like they have some type of paper value, like people buy paper for millions of dollars in this industry. I have one last question. Is it, well, maybe not the last one, but is it harder to get a license to be a dispensary mm -hmm. than it is to sell product with THC and CBD in it? Which one is harder? So, okay, I'm guessing you're, you're asking if it's harder to so be like a cultivator, a, cultivator. Mm -hmm. a processor. In some states, they have distributor licenses. And a processor is somebody who's extracting the THC. So they're extracting the THC and they're putting it in finished goods. A lot of times, like let's say you were to get into the cannabis industry, I could see you wanting to be a manufacturer mm -hmm. and then make finished goods, yeah. packaged CPG goods that you then sell to the dispensary. Yeah, um, That's in line with pretty much what you already do. Right. Um, and then you buy raw biomass from a cultivator. Um, but there's also distributor licenses in some states. Some states don't have distributors. So the uh, cultivator or processor distributes their own product straight to the dispensary. Okay. Um, but typically there's always at least those three components of the space. And that's how it's usually. So which one's up. harder? Cultivator, processor, or, dis or distributor? They all have their own um points to them and they all have their own things that kind of call for a certain level of expertise. Um, I'd say that cultivation is probably the most expensive, especially if you're doing an indoor cultivation um, with the lights that are necessary, the HVAC that's necessary. I mean, you're talking millions of dollars. Because you cannot have your employees getting contact highs while they're at work. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not only that, just like literally like growing the plant indoors yeah. takes so much with like control environmental controls right uh, you know gotcha, like you have to gotcha. control the heat and air at all times the light at all times because essentially you're mimicking you know the sun yeah um so it just it and it takes it's just really expensive gotcha. um you know a lot of people try and like you know grow outdoors where it's appropriate but now at the level at a commercial level and you're trying to grow quality um you're trying to grow the same things over and over you're trying to get the highest level thc um, to get that ROI, a lot of times people have to grow indoors or they're growing in a greenhouse setting and um, just to control those environmental controls, it's crazy. So yeah, I'd say it's typically the most expensive. So Faith, I, you know, I know this podcast is about funding and we did talk about the money piece, but you have just literally laid it out for everybody about going to get their application and applying for a dispensary. 
But is there any, like, an unpopular opinion that you have about this space? Yeah. Oh, you knew it. She didn't, she didn't, you were like, yeah, I got it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'd say uh, a lot of people look at the cannabis industry immediately. I called it the gold rush before and the green rush, you know, that this is a space where you're going to come in and make millions of dollars. And the truth is you do have the potential to make millions of dollars. Uh, But there are there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of regulation. um, And that doesn't mean you're going to actually pocket millions of dollars. It just means that, you know, you're you're spending you're creating a lot of cash flow and you're stimulating the economy a lot. <laughs> she said you're providing jobs. You're and- providing some jobs and you are paying some people's bills, okay? Okay. And you are paying the IRS. Everybody has a role. Everybody has a role, you know? So <laughs> this is just, you know, I tell people now that this is an industry that if you get in at this point, you're really playing the long game. Um, and you have to be able to survive. And a lot of people have not been able to survive. And I'd say that. Um, our resilience has come from being able to take punches, roll with them, um, all, also being lean, being extremely lean. And it's a lesson that I really attribute to my mother, who always, uh, people joke, and sometimes she's probably going to be so pissed I say this, um, but people call her the money police because <laughs> my mom does not play like you know, we, we have millions of dollars flowing through our accounts. And my mom will be like, what's this $30 that was spent here? Like, mm. you know, like she does not play. Like she really uh, looks through everything. And I just think that like in this industry, if you're not being like that level of attention to where your money is going, how it's being spent, um, it, it can really eat you up. I mean, you're paying, uh, have, you're paying sales and use tax. You're paying... Uh, just crazy regular business taxes because we can't deduct uh, business expenses. Wait a minute. Y'all don't mm-hmm. get write-offs? We do not. Typic- not not typical and ordinary Oh, Well, tell me like an ordinary write-off that you don't get in the cannabis industry. Payroll. What? What you mean? Yeah, like salaries. Like all of them. I can't write them off. Um, there are some exceptions to this. And if you're a cannabis attorney or any attorney, you might know about so 471C. you always end up owing yeah. a bill to the IRS regardless of the end of the year? Oh, yeah. I'm always going to owe. It's more of a question of how much um, cannabis. Oh what yeah. if you lose money that year? It doesn't matter. You're still in the Oh, owing. you're still owing. Uh, so, girl. I mean, yes, you still owe. Um, cannabis companies, this is just, this is why most can't survive and they're spending loads of money just to continue to be operational. Oh my gosh. Faith. So this, this is, yeah. I'll your face. It's okay. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. No, I just, I'm so flabbergasted. I know who I'm talking to, but I just was like, wait, if you lose money, you still owe the government. You still owe. You still owe. So at your top line, especially if you're a retail you're dispenser. You're messing me up right now. Like, you're messing me up. Yeah. You know, so I tell I people you all the time. You're messing me up. I'm like, I'm like, no, <laughs> this truly. is not an industry where, like, you know, I don't really do this. Like I said, I didn't get into this industry because, oh, I thought I was going to be able to um, make millions and millions of dollars off of this first venture. One, I saw an opportunity to get into a space that was new, emerging, um, be at the ground floor level, affect change. Um, be a part of the actual legalization of it. And I knew that this will, this is going to pay off long term. I knew it was going to be hard, but I don't think I really understood, you know, especially 280E, what we're talking about now, the taxes, um, how difficult it would be to turn this business into a profitable business. But essentially for a retail cannabis business, for every dollar you make, you keep about 10 to 15 cents. A regular business is keeping like, 30 to 40 cents. Wow. 
Yeah. So you like just gave us all the game on applying for your cannabis license. I hope the people learned. I don't hope. I know that they've learned <laughs> so much. I have learned so much. There's so much I didn't know. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to leave the people with? Um, you know, I'll say that if you're interested in this space, there's still so much opportunity. I know I um, kind of went through all of the difficulties and how much money to be spent. But at the end of the day, uh, this industry is evolving and growing and there's so much more room for creativity. Um, that's what I'm personally focused on. So I definitely encourage people to learn as much as they can, um, get involved in creating and shaping the laws that govern our space because this industry has a bright future and you should be a part of it. Thank you so much, Hope, you guys. And thank you so much for watching the More Rounds podcast. We'll see you guys in the next episode.